is a Woodside Church podcast. So, personally, I have really appreciated Luke being on the church staff team. And let's express, as Luke comes and brings God's word, and he's had a great little intro, as Jonathan brought that word uh, just a little while ago. Um, and express our appreciation because he works jolly hard really serving primarily although across the church primarily this congregation so Luke appreciate you come and bring God's word let's welcome him shall we okay always something always something good morning Good morning. I don't know about you, but I'm, when it comes to food, I'm all about quantity over quality. If you give me the option of a kebab or a, a fine dining at Michelin star restaurant, I'm choosing the kebab because I'd rather just feel full up. So 12 years ago, when, when Rachel told us that somebody was going to design for us a, a meal rotor for our, before Rachel was given birth... which is effectively two weeks of us not having to cook, people bringing dinner to us every single day, you would think I would have been grateful. (laughs) But I was concerned. (laughs) Uh, I was really quite worried that we were going to get given portions that most normal humans would have. (laughs) So I said to Rachel, I told her, I said to her, I'm actually a bit worried about this. I'm going to have to eat like everybody else. And unsurprisingly, Rachel had a go, told me off, had a go at me, <laughs> told me off, told me that I had a bad attitude, I was ungrateful. I didn't care, I was hungry. I was hungry even thinking about it. So I went to Tesco's and I got myself some emergency nuggets. These nuggets that we had, whenever we had these meals, they'd come and I'd take it from whoever the lovely person who provided us the dinner would be. I'd look under the silver foil and if I thought that's, that would suffice, Great. If it didn't suffice, I would sort of smile sweetly, say thank you while reversing into the kitchen to the already-on oven and put in some extra nuggets for good measure. I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit of a moaner. I've always been a moaner, and I'm quite a pessimist. I married someone who's quite the opposite, so that's been interesting. But, so I can understand the people of Israel, and the story I'm going to read today, we come across a bunch of moaners, like me. So, the people of Israel, up to this point in the story, have been released, set free from Egypt, from slavery. They get taken across the Red Sea. They, all these strange plagues happen, and they get delivered from Pharaoh and his awful, awful leadership. And they take across the Red Sea, and they go into the wilderness, and then they approach this beautiful place called Elim. Elim is effectively a holiday resort. They spent potentially two months, I reckon, about two months in, in this place, beautiful place. There's 70 palm trees and loads of springs. And they had this lovely holiday, this time of rest. And that's where I'm going to start from at this point. I'm going to read the scripture that we're going to go from today, and we'll go from there. So, so it's, if any of you who's reading the Bible, it's Exodus for, um, chapter 16. It says this, They set out from Elim, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Nothing to do with sin, by the way. I know you're thinking, oh, it's not going to go well if it's called that. It's nothing to do with sin. 
which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Oh, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when you said, when we sat by lovely meat pots. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might, that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat in the evening, sorry, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we that you grumble against us? So they go to this place called Elim, and God gives them a couple of months of rest. And the truth is, the people of Israel did need a rest. They'd been in Egypt for 430 years. So this group of, this group of people had never experienced anything else other than slavery, maltreatment, abuse. The pharaoh that they were worked under would work them to the bone, would work them to the point where he would give them targets that were impossible to meet, and he would whip them and beat them when they didn't make those targets. They were, these people were exhausted, they were spent. Not to mention the emotional exhaustion they would have had of being told, yeah, you're free from Egypt, go, let my people go. After, stop, not yet, go back, back into slavery. Let my people go, yes, we're gone. No, stop, back. Seven, about seven times that happens when they think they're free and they're not. These people were emotionally tired, physically tired, and they needed a rest. The good thing about God is he cares about us. And we often think, he's not like Pharaoh. He's not a hard taskmaster. We serve a God who gives us rest, seasons of rest in our life, times that refresh us. In fact, Psalm 23, a lot of us will know the very famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And we often think of the bit where it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. But it starts off by saying, he leads us, how's the green pastures? Takes us to green pastures, well, thank you. Besides still waters, he restores our soul. One of the ways that God restores us is by giving us rest. And we need rest sometimes. Currently, I'm in this, I'm in this season of Elim. The time of the, well, I'm facing the rest at the moment, and it's incredible. But Jesus cares. Jesus cares about us and our rest. And we live in a culture that tells us not to rest. We live in a culture where we can access work from our phone. We get home and we're sending off emails and replying to work messages when we're off because we live in a world that tells you to go, 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 never stop. But God, in this story, tells them on the sixth day, on the sixth day you're to gather double the portion. And as you read the story further, you realise that's because on the seventh day he doesn't want them to do anything. He wants them to stop. Something for us to learn. That God wants us to stop. 
sometimes the best thing we can do is nothing. And we live in a culture that tells us the opposite, but the Bible tells us. In fact, it's one of the commands God gives is stop, because you need to stop. And he knows we need to stop. And he's not like Pharaoh, and he cares about our soul. And we talk about how to restore us and make us feel whole. One of the best ways Christians can be restored is by learning to stop. Then we get to verse 2. So they leave Elim, and it says, And the whole congregation of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Just to say, there is a difference between a grumble and a groan. In the Bible, there's lots of groans. The Psalm's full of them, where people are hurting, and they're saying, God, this really hurts. This sucks. That's fine. That's all right. That's absolutely allowed. In fact, that's encouraged in the Bible. But grumbling is a bit different. In fact, a preacher called Kevin DeYoung says this, A grumble is not a humble cry for help. A grumble is when we say to God, I really know how to run the universe a bit better than you do. Instead of saying, this hurts, but I'm ready to receive whatever it is I'm to receive from God's hand. A a grumble says, this stinks and I'm ready to rebel against God's heart. This, are you wondering why I brought a suitcase? Tim Green is not inside. Um, um, there's, the reason I've brought this on stage is because the Christian life is like a journey. The Bible talks a lot about us being on a journey. And how we face that journey, how, how we expect that journey to pan out will affect how your faith works out. And the, the truth is, the people of Israel had just gone into this beautiful place called Elim. They had just been given all these promises that you're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be great. And I imagine they thought, great, we're here. We've made it. You see, things are going to be easy now. But the truth is, they had a long old wilderness to go through for 40 years. Hard ride. And a lot of Christians do the same. We think, I'm a a Christian, things will be easy for me now. Things were hard before, but now I'm a Christian. I know that things are going to be different. Things will be easy. Life will be smooth. And And through the pandemic... I've seen people stop believing because things got bumpy. The thing about suitcases is they're fine on flat. No problem. Smooth. When life is smooth and you have that expectation that things will be all right, you have no problems. The problem is the Bible promises us a not-so-positive promise. Jesus promises you will have trouble. So it's inevitable that when you have the expectation that life's going to be easy... When it comes to rocks and mountains and sand dunes that you find in the wilderness, that it, will make, it will make you wobble. It will make your, your faith will struggle. It's hard. It's hard on the up and the down. It's hard in the sand dunes. But Christians, a lot of Christians believe this message that life will be easy when you're a Christian. It's not true. It's not true. There will be times, there are times in our life when we say... God, am, am, I all really, am, I, am I all right here? And thanks, Jonathan, because God would say, I'm right here. He doesn't promise you ease. He doesn't promise me ease. But he promises that he'll be in that wilderness with me. As Jonathan just said earlier, exactly true. He promises he will be with him. Just like he was with the people of Israel in the struggle, he's with us in the struggle. So I think that's one of the mistakes, one of the causes for the grumbling was Israel's expectation that things were going to be smooth. 
The second expectation, I think, said they had a high expectation of ease, and I think they had a low expectation of others. We've got to remember that the people of Israel had been led by Pharaoh, a horrible, horrible man. That had been all they'd experienced of leadership. So unsurprisingly, they didn't really trust Moses and Aaron. They didn't, because they had only experienced bad leadership. So they were cynical. Uh, You only want to kill us, that's what they said. You only want to lead us out here to kill us. We live in a culture that is a very cynical culture. All the comedies we watch, 8 out of 10 cats, have I got news for you? They're all, the humour is all cynical. We live in a world that's surrounded by cynicism. And the truth is, I'm not just going to say don't be cynical. Because the truth is, the cynicism usually, nearly always, is born out of hurt. Nearly always comes out of a place of mis- somebody in leadership or somebody in authority or somebody you respected has let you down. That's it. And then cynicism comes. And cynicism comes like a, a friend comes to guard your heart. Don't let them near. Don't let them close to you. They've probably got other, other reasons. Probably other, there's, other, there's another motive going on here. And cynicism comes to defend us. What it actually does is it isolates us. And it leaves you in the wilderness. It leaves you in the desert alone. Because you can't let anybody come near to you. So you're left on your own. And So while there's no Bible verses that say cynicism is wrong, there's a lot that says about trusting God. Relying on him and, and love, like respecting leadership. and The truth is, we're all going to get hurt by people. And some of us are in this room because we've been hurt by people. There's a few little tips that, that I can give from my lack of experience in this area. A bigger one later, but a few little tips on, on cynicism. Is one, we need, to, we need to ask God daily, help me to forgive Whoever or whatever had hurt you, help me to forgive them. Forgiveness isn't, isn't a, Lord, help me to forgive them, done. That's not really how it works. Forgiveness is a day-by-day journey. If it's, if it's a serious thing that needs forgiving, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens every day. Lord, help me to forgive that person so that I can view that person well. Daily forgiveness. Hang out with people who are positive. Now, this is hard for cynics. I know, because I, I also am a cynic. Don't think people on the stage are holier than you. I, I like to come up here and show you that I'm just to say I'm a mess. I'm an absolute mess. But for us cynics, hang out with people that are not cynics. They're around. We've got one lovely Ruth Byfield, one of the people that I spend time with who's not a cynic. And those people, you do not do this, by the way. Those people will grate on you. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> those, if you're a cynical person, no, no, no. If you're a cynical person, Hanging out with somebody that's hyper-positive is very difficult. But I promise you, it will cut the edges. It's like two rocks clashing and taking all the rough edges off of you. It's really good. I, I by God's grace, married one. I married an incredibly positive, think the best of everyone wife. So, uh, so where I was when I got married to where I am now is a miles apart. I'm still not there, as, as Rachel will absolutely vouch for on a daily basis. But I've gone a long way because, I, because I've spent time with somebody who's hyper-positive. And another, and another little thing is try and repent on this. Sounds harsh. It's not my issue. It's not, it wasn't me that did it. But repent for the thing you, that you've expected something that you wouldn't have expected on yourself. I wanted them to be like this, but then you're like, I'm not, I'm not like that. So repent and say, God, you know what? You accepted me as a mess. Help me to accept that person as a mess. Um, 
So, this is how. So, I believe that Israel's, Israel grumbled because they had, like, as I said, they had high expectations of ease and they had a low expectations of others. So, how should we trek this, this wilderness journey? How do we do it? I believe there's two other things, two positives that we can get. This is the bag you need for a wilderness journey. A suitcase doesn't suffice when you're going up mountains. You need a trekking bag. Thank you, Sean Sullivan, for this lovely bag that you are not going to be getting back. Um, um, This strap is secured by two things here. The first one is trust. The opposite to cynicism, actually, trust. Verse 4 said this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I might test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day they will prepare um, what they bring in. It will be twice as much as they gather on the other, um, on the other days. So God spends 40 years, as Jonathan said perfectly, they went in the mess and they came out 40 years later completely different because he spent 40 years teaching them to daily trust him. Every day. It took them 40 years. To be fair to them, they'd had a whole lifetime of not, being, not trusting Pharaoh. So it was a long lesson. To learn to trust somebody was hard. And for some of us, it's, hard to trust, it's even hard to trust God because we've lived a life where people have let us down. So God takes you on a journey. Jesus says, don't have anxiety, any anxiety about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Daily trust. Have you ever seen people that have gone for a really rough ride in life and you think, how, how, how have they kept their faith in that? I could never keep my faith in that situation. They've got that, that awful diagnosis and they're, and they're staying strong. How? You can't do that. How do you do that? There's been situations that I've seen people and I've thought, how on earth are you still faithful in that situation? I could not be. But that, what that's doing is that there's an assumption there that when you view life like that, that you're missing one key ingredient that that person has. And that is the daily provision of grace. Trust, the life of, life of faith is life of trust, is a daily trust. And it's hard to see how you would face something before that day because you've not got that grace. The only reason they can do it is because in that moment, which is how God tends to work in the moment, he gives them a grace to face that day. Some of the best advice you can, you can give to somebody who's facing a rough ride and they say, it's hard enough, as similar to what Marion said, it's hard enough just to get through this day. I can't think of other things. You can say to them, perfect. That's all God asks for you this day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Have grace that you'll be given mercy for this day. And that's the story of faith in Christ, as, as you were saying about your story. Daily, you see God's hand daily. I experienced this daily, this daily trust many years ago when I broke my leg. I broke my leg and I worked, at the time I worked at the hospital and I worked full-time night shifts which meant that I was on enhanced pay all the time. When I broke my leg, they had to pay me the normal rate, which was day rate, which meant I lost a significant amount of money. And at this time, Rachel wasn't working. And I remember that first day when I suddenly realized, oh, we're going to lose hundreds and hundreds here. I went to work to Prime Marina and I said, God, 
God, help. I don't want to be going and begging my parents or begging other people for money. I want to, I want to learn the lesson of trusting you day to day for our, for our help financially. That same year, I went into a job that was really, really bad for me, and I got serious anxiety, and I left that, so I was unemployed. It worked out that that year, I'd spent three months without a job and no benefits. And I had to learn in those three months that God would provide for us and look after us without me ask. I didn't ask anybody. Didn't ask, on that occasion, I didn't ask anybody. And when I got to the end of that year, I remember it was that we would get somebody, somebody transferred £2,000 into my account one day, two grand into my account. They said, oh, look at your bank account. That year, and I, I've got to be, there's a danger, what I'm saying here, there is a slight danger with this, but I've just got to be faithful to tell you what happened. That year, I, we had more money come in than we've ever had in our life to this day. And that was three months, and I only worked nine months of that year. We had got given over £10,000 in gifts in three months. He, God could have done it all in one day. He could have given us that money in one go, but he decided to do it in hundreds and fifties and sixties and we'll buy your shopping this week and all these things that's happened again and again and again. And he, he taught me, I'll just worry about today, You'd be, pray for me, give it to me and we'll deal with it today. And that was the story of my, that's the story of the, that nine months. There is a danger of that is that God will look after you with your money. But for me, and that's, that story was money, but for you it might be, how can I... How am I going to forgive that boss who's horrible? Trust me for today. I will give you grace for him today. Do it tomorrow, tomorrow. Today, I will give you grace for him. Hmm. Just trying to work out where I go and what I miss looking at the time. Um, The second, so we've got trust. Learn to trust God daily like the people of Israel trusted God daily for the manna. The second, second strap we've here we've got is gratitude. The opposite of grumbling is being grateful. So when we talk about cynics earlier, one of the best things a cynic can do is learn to be grateful for little things. Now we don't get manna anymore. We don't get, manna doesn't come down like it did in that story. But, but we do get manna. Every single day of your life, if you're looking for it, there's manna. There are little moments of grace that God will provide to you. Little sweet moments that you take for granted, that I take for granted. That when you stop and you think, as, as I'm so glad you brought that, by the way, because it's perfect. You stop and you think, oh, God was there. God was there. God was there. I had a really terrible day, and I got a text from somebody that made me smile. Manner. Little moments of manner. And as, you, as we learn to look for manner, you'll find it. And it will change your whole perspective on, on your life. It will change, you'll see things that you'd never seen. That was just nice. No, it was manna. That happens a lot. It can be a text from somebody. It can be a nice comment. It can be a hug when you need a hug. It can be a, a profound thought that just came into your head that then worked out. Funnily enough, something happened that made you need that thought. Little moments of manna. And the more, more you look for manna, the more you'll find it because it's everywhere. In your day-to-day, things we've assumed were normal were manna. Some of you have had a job for 40 years in the same place. That's been 40 years of manna for you. It's not 40 years of a job that I don't enjoy. It's been 40 years of God's daily provision for you. Manna. 
In this, story, in this story, it talks about quail. As we go into the story later, it says in verse 13, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, um, the manna turns up. So, in, so basically, on this occasion, loads of quail, as far as the eye could see, quail. And then this beautiful, this manna, this strange thing, they didn't know whether it was frost or whether it was something strange, but no, you can eat it. And in the Christian life, you will get moments, quail moments, I'll call them, because in this story, they get quail right at the beginning of this journey, the first day, and they get it right at the end, and numbers, you hear the, see the end of it, and they get quail again. Man, you don't see quail, really. You, you can assume it's every day. Actually, um, a lot of the um, people that read this, study this stuff say, it looks like quail only happened twice in 40 years. Manna was every day, quail was twice. And as a Christian, we will get, you will likely get quail moments, big, meaty, amazing miracles, like my, I told you about the provision. That would be a quail, a quail moment. Those moments when you're like, that's undeniable, that was God, that was incredible. But those moments are, are more rare. Some Christians never have a quail moment. Some Christians have a lifetime of manna. But God will look after you. If you just wait for the quail moments, you'll go very hungry. If you live life looking for those huge, amazing, amazing, world-changing miracles, it can take a while. But if you look for the daily moments of manna that will take you through that day, God will provide for you day after day after day. And that will produce faithful Christians who have been faithful Christians for years and years and years because they understood daily provisions. Quail may be rare, but manna's there. I'm going to read a story now. Oh, do I read it? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to read a story now. I will read it. Read a story now about a lady, a lady who, who learned to understand manna, learned to understand God's provisions in the most unlikely situations. So I'll read reasonably quickly. So this is about a lady called Cory Timboom, an amazing lady who was, uh, uh, was imprisoned in a concentration camp during World War II. She was a Christian. They went into, so they're in this campsite, and they're taken into a barracks. They were shown to a series of massive square platforms stacked three levels high, um, three levels high, and placed so close together that people had to walk single file between them. Rancid straw and scattered over the platforms were served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy, which is Corey Tenboom's sister, found they could not could not sit upright on their own platform without hitting their heads on the deck above. They lay, lay, they lay back, struggling against nausea that swept over them from the reeking straw. Suddenly, Corey started up, striking her head on the cross slats above. Something had bitten her leg. Fleas, she said, she cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. Descending from the platform and edging down the narrow aisle, they made their way to a patch of light. Here, oh, here's another flea. There's another one. How, how can we live in such a place? Betsy said, quoted the Bible, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. That's it, Betsy said. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. Corrie stared at her incredulously. Then around, then around at the dark, foul-smelling room, and she said, such as? Betsy said, such as being assigned together. We're here together. 
And she said, yes. Okay, thank you, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. She's holding a Bible. Yes, okay, thank you for that. Then she says, and the fleas. That was too much for Corey. She She cut in on her sister. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. A short while later, let's fast forward a bit of the story. A short while later, Corey speaks to her very happy sister. You know we've never understood why we had so much... You know, you know, sorry. We've never had so much freedom in big rooms, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I found out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, so we asked the supervisor to come out and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would her guards. And you know why? Because of the fleas. She was able to talk openly about Jesus in this barracks, and that was because the guards wouldn't go in because of the fleas. Manner everywhere. Unexpected manner. Little moments of goodness. And finally, most importantly, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that they may this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that they may not eat of it and die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give him that will give for the life is my flesh. Jesus, we don't get manna anymore, but we get Jesus. Jesus is true manna. The ultimate provision for us every day is Jesus. To come before Jesus and say, God, I need you today. You say that you give me life. You say that you're the bread that I will never get hungry again if I come to you. I need you today. So far up to this point, this talk I did today could have been a TED talk on positive thinking. But the difficulty is that, doesn't, that ends there. The truth is Jesus is to be our portion Jesus is to be our true manner, the one we come to every day and say, I'm in desperate need for you today. Don't know what's happening, but I desperately need you, Jesus. Would you be my daily portion? Would you be, my, would you be what, what satisfies me today? Jesus is the bread of life. Maybe your faith has been rocked a bit. It's been a tough couple of years. Like dra- and it's felt like dragging a suitcase up a sand dune. Faith is not what you thought it was. Being a Christian is it's not what you signed up for. Maybe you're naturally a pessimist like me, and you want to be less cynical and more grateful. Maybe you haven't experienced many quail moments of faith, and that's frustrated you. Maybe Jesus is one part of your life, but not your staple diet. Maybe you've, offend, you're, maybe you've been offended at my comment that Jesus is the only place to find true life. God, would you help us to find manna? Would you help us to see the manna that is there every single day of our life? Thank you that you're not a tyrant like Pharaoh. Thank you that you don't work us to the bone and leave us to starve and get thin and gaunt and die. For you give us rest. You provide Sabbath for us. You provide rest for us. You provide manna for us and quail sometimes. And you stay with us in the valley of shadow of death. You stay with us in the wilderness and you walk with us. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you came down to earth and lived the wilderness. You knew what it was like to walk in the wilderness and you faced total isolation that we never have to face for us. Jesus, would you make us a grateful people, a people that are truly happy in the deepest part of our heart because we are getting good at seeing the grace moments of God every day. Be with us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want, thank you. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.